G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 22 of the Outback Mine podcast. Matthew Bate is the uh, gentleman that I have joining me today. Matthew Bate uh, is probably known to a few of you out there. Many of you may have forgotten Matt. He was a uh, excellent AFL footballer with the Melbourne Football Club. High draft pick, I believe number six uh, back in the day. So very, very uh, well-regarded young junior. Got picked up as a 17-year-old um, and played over 100 games for Melbourne. But basically what happened is his body gave way. He had... Uh, some serious uh, challenges and issues going on, an addiction to sleeping pills and a variety of different uh, uh, things happening in his life, which basically took him away from AFL football. And um, I got to know Matt uh, probably about 10 years ago now um, through our journeys to try and raise our awareness and consciousness. Now, Matt and I studied uh, nutrition through a uh, university in America and um, Matt was really curious to be able to find out what was the optimal way for a human to, uh, to feel, think and behave and um, he had lots of issues with uh, his body through inflammation and um, through that inflammation there was lots of uh, you know, drugs and so forth to support that while he was playing football and he basically wanted to know what he could do to get his body and mind back into balance and help him thrive into the future. So Matt went on a journey, it's taken him to where he is now, he's... Um, helping others uh, raise their consciousness through his organisation called Seeds of Awareness. He's written two books. Uh, he's also a very, very relevant uh, um, speaker and so forth in this particular space now. So he's really stepped out of mainstream and started to uh, explore the possibilities of humanity and what uh, is available to us all uh, as we move forward into this decade and beyond. So really hope you enjoy my conversation with Matt. He's a great man and uh, I'm sure you will get a lot out of this chat. Matthew Bates, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Hey Aaron, thanks for having me, mate. No worries. Uh, it's so good to, to speak to you again, mate. We've got uh, uh, a lot in common and a lot to talk about here. And I was really keen to get you on because I know uh, you know how much of a great human being you are and how your journey can you know sort of help inspire a lot of uh, guys out there and people in general to be able to learn from your experience and sort of where you are now, mate. So. Uh, Really, really grateful uh, to have you on here, and um, you know I really, uh, really respect you and what you've done as a, as a human being, mate. So I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation here. Yeah, looking forward to it. Really appreciate that. No worries, mate. So uh, as 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 you know, this podcast is all about sort of trying to give people tools to be able to understand their mental health and their well-being a little bit better. And I know you've got some great. Um, knowledge with regards to physical health and also mental health now you sort of got your back yourself back to balance again after going through the AFL stuff and all the you know the the things that came from that mate but I want to I want to get you to talk about your journey like you know your little boy stage coming through as a footballer and all the stuff that went along with uh, that uh, that initial draft pick uh, back in 2002 wasn't it or a bit later 2004, 2004, I was I was drafted. Yeah, that was the Buddy Franklin year, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you were just before Grant Birchall. Actually, no, Grant Birchall was 14 from memory. I think uh, Buddy was number five. Is that right? 
yeah, he was he was definitely up there. Yeah, four or five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, rough head was two, if I remember there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mate, uh, tell us about what's going on and what, what what went on for you back in the day. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I grew up in um, the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, of, and um, yeah, it was always my dream to play AFL, and it was this sort of, I was very single-minded with that focus growing up. I was really obsessed with the sport, and it, um, it just gave me a great uh, sense of, I guess, focus and direction in my life, and that um, they say, you know, as a kid, you always hear, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I was always also tried to do pretty good at school and completed year 12. But I, I definitely put most of my eggs in the footy basket, that's for sure. Yeah. I didn't really listen to that advice too much. Um, and so, yeah, I think growing up, footy was, was really great for me because... You know, I, I grew I grew up in a I, I grew up in a good family environment, but my family was pretty fragmented, and uh, my parents got divorced when I was fairly young. So I think footy sort of gave me that escape and get, sort of allowed me to attract some really good father figures into my life through various coaches, and it, it helps give help gives gives a young person that sort of focus to achieve something, and and to also to take care of your health and fitness because if you if you want to do well, so. When I had other friends, uh, I went to a bit of a rough uh, high school at one stage. I, there was a lot of circles around me getting involved in alcohol and experimenting with drugs and a lot of weekend parties. And it was really footy that gave me the, the kind of drive and, to, and dedication to kind of sacrifice a lot of that stuff or to, uh, to you know, not get too involved in a lot of that because I just I had such a, a focused goal. Mm-hmm. And... I worked really, really hard. Even as a junior, I used to just put a lot of commitment into it, do do a lot of extra training, and make sort of uh, sacrifices with my diet to stay stay lean. And I started getting into weight, like weightlifting, when I was about fifteen, and um, it, yeah, it paid off. I, uh, I played in the East for the Eastern Rangers in the TAC Cup, and had a had a really good run there, and played played well, and won the. Uh, Morris Medal is an under eight, bottom age under 18, which is sort of like the uh, equivalent of the Brownlow of the under 18s, like the best and fairest in the league. And that, that was a real shock because I never really, I was never one of those players growing up that was like really highly touted. Like uh, you, you have those junior years that everyone, everyone's like, oh, that, that person's really definitely going to get drafted. And I used to play in the team with, um, I used to play in the under 18s with Travis Cloak and everyone was, it was all about Travis and how good he was in these how he, he was going to go farthest on and I was sort of went under the radar big time but I, I had a lot of self-belief and I had a big breakout year in that bottom year and it was that winning that Morris medal really sort of put me on the radar mm. and uh, it obviously put me on the Melbourne Demons radar because they, they drafted me as number 13 pick in the um, 2004 draft mm. and yeah I was a, as a very uh, very young 17 year old barely 17 uh, these days, I, these days, as a, I wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been eligible to be drafted that young. These days, have made the age rule a bit older, which is probably smart. And um, so, yeah, drafted at seventeen, and that that began my my journey at the Melbourne Demons. So I'll, I'll probably yeah leave it there. If you have got any more questions around that, who was the first coach, Neil Danaher? Yeah, Neil Danaher. I still remember draft day, getting a phone call from Neil Danaher, getting a phone call from. Um, uh, David Neat. I think I got I got a phone call from Chris Fagan because Chris Fagan was uh, 
a, a manager, a general manager or, or something. He wasn't a coach then, he was, but he was heavily involved in the footy department. Mm. And I got a call from there, maybe a call from Adam Uze and some, you know, a few guns. And I was just like, whoa, what is happening? It was such, such a whirlwind because you go, for, I just finished high school and all your friends are going up, up north on uh, end of school trips or whatever they call them, schoolies. Yeah. And, and everyone's heading to university and all of a sudden I'm getting called by all these people who I, I idolise and only have heard about on TV and radio. And it's, it's a real... As a young person, there's nothing that can prepare you for that. It's like a, it's 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 really it's a real whirlwind. It's it's like it's, it's it was a crazy time, but also extremely exciting. Just mm-hmm. it's like a like a, literally like a dream come true. So yeah, Neil Danaher was my first coach, and he he was he was my favourite coach. He was he was a great great coach in person. I thought. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think he's he's very well regarded as just being a very level yeah. level grounded human being. That guy. So you probably uh, yeah. Couldn't have got uh, asked for anyone any better, mate. We'll talk about your next coach soon, but how long was it until you uh, you got uh, your first game? <clears throat> well, when I went first went into the system, um, I had a I definitely had a series of wake up calls because I I just nothing can really prepare you for the intensity jump from going under 18s into an AFL system. So I, did, I never experienced any senior footy before AFL. It was under 18s. I didn't, and then I didn't go to any local senior footy or VFL. It was straight into the big league. Mm. And I was definitely shell-shocked in the first couple of months of training. And I remember distinctly uh, thinking I was actually going okay. But then Neil Danaher and Chris Fagan pulling me into the office, maybe like maybe in January or February of 2005 of my first preseason and then uh, I, I thought, oh, maybe I'm going to get some, like, this is how naive I was. I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to get some good feedback here. And I walked in there. I could just feel this kind of like heavy energy in the room. And I was like, oh, crap, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And they, they said, oh, how do you think you're going? And, and I was like, oh, I think I'm going well. I think I'm hitting my targets and training, training pretty hard. And Neil just literally cuts me off and goes, beta, mate. You have got a long way to go. I'm just going to, I'm going to be really honest with you. He goes, if you keep, this is literally said, it was such, he goes, if you keep going at the intensity you're going at, you won't, we won't even play you, we won't, you won't even see out the second year of your first contract. Shit. And I was, I was like, like, I can't explain, like, what a kick in the guts that was. Like, it literally, it, it blindsided me so much. It, it took the wind out of my sails so, so much. It was the first time I'd ever received brutal feedback. Mm. And, uh, and Neil Danaher, a lot of players, you know, it was very polarising because he could be brutal like that, and a lot of most AFL coaches are. And it, it just hit me so hard. But it was actually, for my career, and it was probably tactical. Like, he probably never really meant that. It was probably tactical because it, it kicked me into gear hard, like it was a slap in the face, yeah. like a bucket of icy water. And uh, it was from then on, my intensity changed dramatically. And I went from them obviously regarding me as not having the intensity anywhere near AFL level to the end of my first year, I was, I was emergency a couple of times in the um, senior team. And I didn't play a game in my first year, but I ended up playing in the winning grand final in the VFL with Sandringham, which was the affiliate team for uh, for Melbourne at the time. And so 
I really came a long way from floundering in, in my first pre-season to playing in a seniors VFL grand final in 2005 and, and nearly playing in the AFL a couple of times. And that was a really good Melbourne team in 2005. They made a, I think they made, they, they made the finals. They had, to, they had a really good team. Mm. And uh, it, was, it was because of that feedback that really kicked me into the gear and it was the first test of my mental strength and my resilience and how I would respond to something like that. And I definitely responded... Uh, I was pretty. I was quite pleased in hindsight with how I responded. I definitely. I didn't let it shatter my confidence. I just after after the initial shock of it wore off, I, I just went to work and I, I upped my intensity and I just increased my intensity in every department: in training, in weights, in uh, study of football, in after hours practice, mm. um, and and that really paid off. And then it was in my second year uh, where things really took off. That's when I started to establish myself as the senior player. I, made, I played my first game in round five against North Melbourne, kicked a goal with my first uh, kick of AFL football mm. and played the rest of the year. We ended up playing um, in... I played in a winning final against St Kilda and a losing uh, preliminary or semi-final against Fremantle. So it was a really really successful year in 2006 that was where i established myself Mm. and but you know it was all that was also the beginning of the end of the um kind of uh fairy tale journey it all it all went my my personally my career did some good things after that but as a team things went really downhill after that unfortunately on, on many levels but um yeah, that that was the journey journey there so far. So it was it was my my commitment really helped me get some good results. But maybe we can talk about the side effects of that also the the stress and the anxiety of uh, the, the pressure really started to get to me in a lot of levels as well. But you know we can we can talk about that in a bit. Yeah, mate, uh, this is very relevant. And um, look, there, there's a lot of messages in there by by putting in the work and, and getting the results because you you know as well as I if you. If you can just get that grunt work done and build up your stamina and your ability and your strength and your self-awareness, then when you go out and, and perform per se, the rest takes care of itself because you, you have got that structure and the, the, the ability to be able to you know, dig into that tank when you need it. But mate, um, what, what I really want to know more about is the challenges that came after that and the mental toughness and resilience you had to go through to be able to get through all the uncertainty with, with what came from uh, you know, Neil, Neil Danaher getting sacked and, Mar- and was, it was Mark Fagan that came, no, sorry, uh, Mark Neil that came in. Yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, there was lots of issues um, around that, so it'd be good for you to talk a bit about it, mate, for sure. Yeah, well, my first challenge, what was that, sorry? Oh, yeah, go for it, no, you're right. Uh, so my first challenge came early on in my career, probably in my first year. After that feedback I received from Neil Danaher, I became very single-minded and very obsessed with increasing my performance and increasing my intensity and work rate in, in all the different facets of, of being a footballer. And that may, helped me gain a lot more success as a footballer, but I, I really didn't know. I've, I've completely lost balance in my life. I became very single-minded and, and it created a, a constant source of anxiety within me because the, the pressure... I, I was constantly feeling pressure to perform, constantly feeling like if I don't maintain an incredible intensity, then 
I, you know, I could lose my spot, my career could be over, and it ter- that, that thought just terrified me. I, I, I knew I had one shot at this career, and I was so desperate to make it work, but I, I didn't know how to create that balance. I, I, um, I didn't know how to switch off from that anxiety, mm. and I got, I started to get really caught up in my head. I didn't, I didn't have any. I'd never been taught modalities to sort of calm my nervous system when training was over. Because the thing with as a footballer. And as any athlete, but especially a footballer, you're constantly living in fight flight. You're constantly, your adrenaline's always peaking. Your adrenaline and cortisol is peaking regularly because you know that you have to train very hard, which which increases your adrenaline cortisol. You, game day increases your adrenaline cortisol. Um, if you're getting like uh, any sort of negative feedback, or if you're in intense meetings, or if you've got media pressure. You, it's all all in, all kind of increasing your adrenaline and cortisol. And mm. as you would know, when you're in that fight-flight uh, response too often, it has really negative effects on your health and your, and your well-being overall, especially your mental health. Mm. Uh, and I had no tools to help me deal with that. I'd never experienced that sort of pressure before. And so it started affecting my sleep really negatively. I started not being able to sleep, which, which makes things even worse. Mm. And I, out of desperation, I went to the doctor, of the club doctor, and I said, look, can you help me? I'm not, I'm not sleeping at all. And he said, look, I'll take these sleeping pills. And he gave me like seven of them. And I, I, was, de- I was just like, all right, anything, anything to, to sort of switch my mind off and switch the anxiety off. Mm-hmm. And especially at night, at night I was getting chronic, chronic anxiety. I was getting, um, uh, especially around... Uh, not being able to sleep and pre-bedtime, I just get this incredible anxiety built in my body that I'd never experienced before, and I just, I just didn't know how to deal with it at all, and I, I, I just wasn't prepared for this in any way, and I also didn't feel comfortable talking about it to anyone because I, I, I felt like I was telling myself it was a source of weakness. Mm-hmm. I was telling myself that if I let, if I let the club know that I'm feeling this anxiety and I can't sleep and I'm feeling a little bit messed up at the moment emotionally and mentally. Uh, they're going to think I'm losing the plot. They're, they're going to think I'm not cut out for this career and they might cut me. Mm. And I'd already seen how, how cutthroat they could be in that feed, with that feedback I received from Neil early on. Mm. And um, so I took these, I remember the first time I took this sleeping pill and it was it, it, like within about 15 minutes of taking this drug, uh, all the anxiety just kind of washed away. And I just felt this like calm come over my body and I just felt really relaxed and I felt happier. And for the first time, my mind switched off and my body calmed down and I, I fell asleep really easily. And unfortunately, that was the beginning of a 10-year uh, long addiction. Mm. So that, that I instantly became addicted. And this is also my first experience of addiction. So it was another thing I wasn't prepared for and it was another thing that I was too scared to, to uh, talk to anyone about. And so, yeah, I, I basically became chronically addicted to sleeping pills for the next 10 years and mm. had many failed attempts to give them up. Um, but I always was just attempting on my own, never never seeked any help because I was, I was too ashamed of it. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that was a chronic addiction that really got its claws dug so deeply in me and I think was I think was a major reason my career didn't go longer than it did because I was living with this darkness. Like when, uh, you and anyone else who've experienced addiction would know that 
it's like you've got this darkness over you. You've got this thing controlling you, mm. and it's it's a heavy burden and it, it drains your energy and it, it takes. It means that living, getting up, especially as a professional athlete, getting up every day to perform at such a high level becomes such a such an um, effort, such an effort of will. It takes so much willpower, which drains you even more because when you're not when you're taking sleeping pills or any addiction, it drains your energy, but especially sleeping pills, you don't get a proper night's sleep. Um, it, you sort of get an artificial sleep, so you don't wake up the next morning feeling properly refreshed. Mm. And if you take them continuously, you start getting this really strong hangover feeling every single day mm. that sort of stays with you till about midday. So I was getting up every day for training with this grogginess, and it makes you irritable, and it makes you lose motivation, and everything and then and then you start relying on caffeine and other stimulants to um sort of counteract it during the day so i got in this really bad cycle of drug taking and stimulant taking uh all quote-unquote legal drugs so it wasn't like anything illegal or or anything they were um but you know (laughs) not good for you and and then what can what made this even harder was that uh yeah, we started really struggling as a club and we, we performed quite badly in 2007 as a club and um, our Neil Danaher was sacked halfway through the year, which I thought was a really uh, gun sort of like trigger trigger happy decision. Yes. I, I really think they, they, they should have just persevered with him a bit longer and uh, we, we sort of lost a lot of games by under a goal and it could have been a very different season. Mm. So they, but they, they quickly sacked him and then they brought... Uh, Dean Bailey in and but the club really I thought Dean Bailey was not a bad coach but did the club I just don't think was run well at all didn't have a good culture during that period and it sort of everyone became focused on them and it, it just wasn't wasn't a very good experience as a footy club so, so that kind of exasperated my problems personally because I wasn't enjoying going to the club I wasn't feeling Sad. really like like I was part of a family and yeah. Yeah, by about 2012, when my career ended, uh, after eight years, I was I was pretty damn burnt out and pretty pretty ready to to get out of the AFL and actually focus on trying to bring some balance and healing back into my my own personal life. Yeah. Uh, so, but the big thing, the big thing, my main focus was to overcome was the addiction because it when you when you're addicted to something for that long for nearly ten years, you you get to a point where you just you, you actually don't think you're ever going to be able to beat it. Like I remember there being times where I was like, "Well, this is this is just me for life. I'm this is this is me. I, I'm not ever going to be able to get over this in in this lifetime. Uh, I'm just going to have to resign myself to it, and it's going to have all these negative effects on my health. But I just can't beat it. Uh, and I thank God I did. <laughs> I haven't had a sleeping pill in about four years, mm. but uh, but yeah, I, I, there was a big period there where I, I literally never thought I would. When I first met you, it was probably, geez, back 2012, roughly, a bit around about then, mate, but I never knew that you were doing this then, so you kept that uh, very quiet, and you were also trying to go down the holistic path, but still addicted to the pills. Yeah, exactly. It was, it, it, um, <clears throat> it lingered for a few years after footy, and I had periods of um, giving it up, but I, I was, I start, I kept playing footy at a lower level. But one year in the VFL, then three years in the uh, in local footy, mm. and but still at a good, quite a good level local footy. And I, 
I, there must have been a, such a deep unconscious association between sleeping pills and playing football that I just I, I came to the conclusion that I, I knew that I would not be able to give them up whilst I was playing footy. Mm. And so that's why in 2016, probably a few years before I needed to, uh, definitely, I mean, I feel like I could still be playing now, but I, I, I quit footy because mm. I knew that I all my focus had to go into quitting this addiction because I just... I tried while I was playing and just kept failing and failing, mm. and um, and then luck and then thankfully my first year out after a lot of um, yeah it was still it was still a big effort still a big challenge to give it up in my first year out of footy but I, I managed to and I haven't haven't had any since mm. but my, I did I did after footy after AFL I I cleaned up every other area of my life I cleaned up my diet I cleaned up. Um, so many other areas except the sleeping pills so it allowed at least to give my body a chance to cleanse itself of many other things and, and heal a lot of old damage mm. um, but and at least allowed to counteract the damage of the sleeping pills somewhat yeah. but it, you know it, I, it, I had to give up footy unfortunately to to get on top of it do it mate Let's, let's talk about it like that and also a couple of things I touched on before. So, so you mentioned about not being right till lunchtime. So that hangover from that acidic medication. We'll, we'll talk uh, a bit about acid and alkaline so people can understand that. But, yeah, you know, the average person is, is hungover from booze, food, medication, whatever. Yeah. And really there's a deep message in that because your body is telling you that you're not right. You know, you're not back to balance. You're not, you're not jumping out of bed like you've got heaps of energy or whatever. So your body is working hard to, to be healthy overnight and there's all these things getting in its way um, uh, from, from, from optimizing its health. So when we're, when we're resting, you know, our, livers, our liver's trying to you know, cleanse, our, our kidney's trying to cleanse all the vital organs in the body, the brain's trying to you know, recalibrate and all those sorts of things. So... Uh, mate, I'd like you to, to talk us a bit uh, a bit more through that with regards to that. So your body was still hung over from medication, but when you were playing, there was all this other stuff that was going on as well um, to actually, you know, for you to deal with, which was probably causing inflammation in your body and you're having to deal with that through uh, anti-inflammatories and then there was caffeine and then there was all this other stuff coming in. So primarily your body was very acidic, is that right? Yeah, absolutely, and I, I fell into a, a cycle, a, a trap that you, know, you could say the you could argue that the majority of the Western world is 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 kind of trapped in, well, at least most people, and that is the trap of uh, trying to mask sim- mask symptoms in the body and also rely on stimulants to give yourself a f- sort of a false sense of energy, and so. When the Western diet, as you know, is, is highly acidic, it it's, it's, contains a lot of processed food, a lot of soft drink, a lot of uh, high, sugar, high processed sugar foods, a lot of meat, a lot of dairy, and a lot of these foods are on the more acidic scale and acid, an acid buildup in the body creates inflammation. It creates a lowered level of oxygen in the body and it creates a higher level of inflammation and that can lead to... All different, all different issues in the body. Where, wherever that inflammation goes, it can lead to uh, pain and joint soreness, and that can lead on to stuff like arthritis. Uh, it can lead to 
it can lead to so many symptoms. It can lead to chronic headache. It can lead to mental fogginess. It can lead to digestive problems. Uh, it can lead to sleep problems. And changing to a more alkaline lifestyle is something that can really fix, really get to the core of these issues. Whereas what most people do is rather than get to the, the root problem, which is to live a more alkaline lifestyle, they, they turn to sort of band-aid solutions. And that is in the sort of, uh, that, that manifests as pharmaceutical drugs and stimulants most often. And in terms of an acid-forming diet, on top of that, you, you know, you add alcohol, you add pharmaceutical drugs which are acid-forming, you add, um, you know, if there's people out there cigarette smoking and um, stress is also acid-forming. So we really need to, like, target all these areas, not just diet, but diet is a really crucial one, and also drinking fresh um, alkaline water. Most tap water is more in the acidic range. Uh, so, you know, getting a good uh, water filter that, that alkalizes the water as well. And I, I was really stuck in this cycle where rather than getting to the root cause, I was getting a lot of inflammation in my body. I was having problems recovering. I was getting, having a lot of negative issues in my body and a lot of injuries. And I was relying on anti-inflammatories. I was relying on painkillers. I was relying on injections. Uh, I was, you talked about that, that kind of, uh, grogginess I was experiencing every day as a bit of a sleeping pill hangover. I was relying on caffeine and all sorts of different stimulants to overcome that. Mm. And this might give you a short-term fix, but one, once they wear off, you're you're worse than before. And not only are you worse, but um, you know not not only is the problem still there, but you, you're often like three, four, five times worse because you've added more acidity into your body by taking those drugs and stimulants. Mm. So the big turning point for me was learning about this and learning about how to get to the root cause of all these problems. And I, it led to a big transformation in my lifestyle, led to a massive diet change, starting to eat a lot more raw foods, starting to learn about food combining to optimize digestion, improving the water I drink, um, decreasing the amount of processed foods I eat, decreasing the amount of soft drink or lim eliminating soft drink, limiting the amount of alcohol I drank and, and um, learning more about stress management. And this really does have a big effect on the alkaline balance in your body and it, it gives your body a chance to actually get rid of this inflammation and do a sort of self-cleansing process, purge any excess uh, acids and excess toxins and actually start healing itself and meaning so you don't have to live a life where you're reliant on stimulants and drugs because these things can become just as an just as a bigger source of addiction as anything else and they can they can really start enslaving people where they just they feel like they can't live without them every day and it's really hard when you're trapped in that cycle because you just don't know how to get out of it but um life as you know life is a lot lot better <laughs> much infinitely better when you're not relying on artificial drugs and stimulants to get by every day life life becomes a lot more effortless it requires a lot less willpower and you, you can start to build you have so much more natural energy and i i now like i'm 34 next month i feel I feel way better than I did when I was 21 because to 21 I was taking sleeping pills and I, I sleep naturally every night. I wake up every day 
with a lot of energy. I feel great during the day and I, um, I have no aches and pains and I feel better than I did when I was 21 because of I, I have so much more knowledge around this stuff and I don't rely, I'm not enslaved by these, these stimulants and drugs anymore. And it just, life really is a lot better, but it is, you, I do have to acknowledge it is really hard to get out of that cycle. It needs, you need a lot of willpower, but also you need to generally have experienced enough pain because I, I got to a point, and I, I know you experienced this as well, where I was feeling so shit in my body, so shit mentally, emotionally, and physically that I just I was at I was at the tipping point. I was at that precipice where I knew that I had to change everything, or I was just I was going to die. Like I was I was not going to make it. I, I felt it felt that bad to me, mm-hmm. and so generally someone has to get to that point where the pain is so bad um that and that that really births this incredible motivation of just never wanting to go back there again mm. and that that's sort of what i I've, I'll, I've never forgotten that and I, I don't think i ever will so it's unfortunate that we tend, tend to have to get to that level of pain to actually make that change and most people most people need most people it requires something really serious like a like a, a bad illness um, some sort of disease that it's possibly even life-threatening. They, they need that sort of wake-up call to um, start kind of valuing their health to a level where they just stop punishing their body every day and start nurturing it. And it's unfortunate, so I, I implore people to not let it get to that point, but it just seems to be the sort of way human the human psyche is built where we just we just need that level of pain before we, we sort of wake up. Yeah, mate. Um Look, beautifully said. Uh, we will touch on those positive lifestyle behaviours that you're doing um, soon and what some, some of the things that people can do out there to, to be able to get their body and mind back into balance. But going back to what I, I said before about Mark Neald, so you were, you were still in that sort of like, you know, acidic environment uh, through your, your, you know, what you're putting into your body, but also that acidic environment in the workplace. So you were in a really uncertain workplace, which was causing a lot of, you know, geez, uh, anxiety within yourself and a lot of stress because of what was going on within the club. Can you talk to us a bit about that and how that actually affected you as an individual? Yeah, it, it was. There was a period there, probably between two thousand and nine and two thousand and twelve, where it was a real kind of. Uh, culmination of so many different negative factors hit hit me uh hit the club but i'm talking from my personal journey it all hit me at once where i was at this in, intense addiction to sleeping pills i was constantly living in this stress state state of flight and fight and constant anxiety that the club was performing terribly we were down the bottom of the ladder multiple years in a row we were copying shit from everyone left right and center is just talking about how bad we were and uh the leadership of the club was in disarray and we had coaches coming in and out and um the, the club wasn't run very well and our our beloved president jim steins who was an incredible man passed away mm. and it just all it's just like all shit hit the fan in my opinion and so i i really wasn't enjoying life there i was i was um really wasn't enjoying things at all but i was still giving it my absolute absolute best but it, it's the stress of everything the, the kind of toxicity of all these different factors started seeping into other areas of my life as well and outside footy i was really irritable and i was having anger issues because i was just not living in a heart-centered body space i was i was really trapped in my head i was really trapped in anxiety and fear and 
um, and pressure and stress, mm. and that that's really bad for your emotions. It's, you, you start um, expressing a lot more anger and a lot more irritability, and you're not tolerant with people, and that started affecting my relationship with my family. And I went through a messy breakup at the time as well with a girlfriend because my my behaviour this wasn't wasn't uh, very good, mm. and um, so I can't blame her at all. Mm. And you know, all of this, um, it, it was it was a really negative space for me. But in hindsight, it was it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it it, it got so bad for me that it led to a wake up call on so many different le- levels in my life. Not just not just on on what to do with my body and my health, but it also kind of catalyzed the spiritual awakening because I realized that so much of so much of the, so many of the issues that I was having was stemming from me being so trapped in my ego mm. and so disconnected from my true self and my spirit and so trapped in my head and so disconnected from my body and that I I realized that I needed to just completely change the way I was living my life mm. and that, that led to a bit of a spiritual awakening and that kind of happened in the last year. That actually happened in 2012 while I was still playing AFL, so... It was a bit of a crazy experience, but it, it really transformed my life. It, it transformed my life in many ways. Um, it, it just completely flipped the way I lived my life, the values I associated with. Like, I always believe I was a good person and I had a really good heart and meant well, but I was, I was just living so deeply in my ego. Mm. And um, I, I don't think that was natural for me. I don't think I really grew up living that way. Like, I grew up out in, out in the country. I, grew, I actually grew up out in the Yarra Valley of, of Melbourne, a beautiful, on a beautiful 10-acre farm out in nature, and my mum's very heart-centred, and I was very, I think I was a very heart-centred kid and teenager, but it was getting into the AFL and uh, getting, uh, being exposed to that pressure and um, addiction, it really just locked me into my ego for, for probably about a 10-year period. And uh, the the pain of it all, the consequences of all of living that way, the the level of pain I was and suffering I was experiencing really snapped me out of it, and really motivated me to live my life on a, on a, in a different way on so many different levels. And that probably was the catalyst of the next ten years of my life, um, which I'm kind of you know still in now. And uh, when I when I sort of had that awakening experience, that that was in my last year of footy, and by the end of 2012, when Melbourne let me go, I was I was very much at peace with it by that stage because I realised that this new path I was on wasn't really in harmony with being in the AFL and playing in Melbourne. And not to say that you can't have that experience and play AFL. I know very I know many uh, I know there are spiritual spiritual based AFL players and heart centred AFL players who thrive in that system and. There are a lot of clubs that are run really well that nurture that better than others, but just my situation, it, it wasn't the case. So I was actually quite ready to move on and, and move on to the next kind of, you know, section of my life. Mm, mate, took a lot of guts because, you know, you played 100 games. You, you would have uh, would have thought earlier on in your career you might have been a 200, 300-game player being uh, such a high draft pick. I apologise to people listening. I thought you were number six. Draft pick, you were 13. I think you were number six for Melbourne, though, weren't you? It was a jumper. Yeah, yeah, number, yeah. number six, playing, playing jumper, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, mate, you know, where you are now, you're in such better place. You're in such a better place. You know, you, you, you're really vibrating or living at a high level of consciousness uh, and you have such a deep connection to yourself and nature and, and every, everyone around you. 
you know, you're talking about waking up feeling good. What are some of the things you're doing now with regards to your lifestyle and your diet that people could actually take away from, from our conversation that, uh, that can help them feel better as they, uh, they move, move into their day? Well, I mean, what I do now uh, is, is really like a kind of a byproduct of about 10 years of focused effort of working towards what I know, a lifestyle that keeps me in harmony and keeps me in balance and keeps me happy and healthy and full of energy and I'm by no means perfect like I think the the experience of being human means that we're we always give in well maybe not some people but I'm far from a perfect human I give in to temptations I have periods where I fall away from what I know is right Mm. so I'm not perfect at what what I believe is right but I definitely commit to it enough that I, I I do get great results and I've had it's been also the result of a lot of trial and error of what works for me personally. Mm. And um, so it's really important every person goes on their own journey of what works for them. But I think it really has to, it, it really starts with what you value. And I, I started realizing that the things that make me happy are, for one, feeling good, just waking up in the morning feeling good and wait, and having energy to be in a, I think when we feel good and we're full of energy and we're not living in a state of stress, we're, we're just happier, better people. I know I am. I'm a happier, better person. I'm more present with my family. I'm more in control of my emotions. Um, I'm more present of the, the magic around me. I'm more connected to nature. I'm, um, I'm more kind of inspired and motivated. And um, I, so for me, I really, really value these things. I really value feeling good. I really value being connected with my family. I know that I'm, I'm at my most happiness, happiest when I feel my family's healthy and happy, that we're all connected, that we're all having fun together and we're all looking after each other. Same with my friends, um, that I'm, I'm doing things in my life that fulfill my kind of inner creative desires, whether it be music or I've taken up tennis and um, just any other sort of create being like I, I'm right into um, gardening and um, there's a lot of other things I'm, I'm not thinking of I'm not you know thinking about now but just things that fulfill that kind of creative desire within you mm-hmm. and then now I've got my 10 month old son so he, he gives me a lot of purpose and so these are the things that give me the happy happiness that I'm, I'm after and the fulfillment I'm after whereas back when I was playing AFL it was my living in my ego what I was pursuing was, you know, fame and money and notoriety and, and material success. Mm. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but they were like what I was desperately seeking and what I was, what I was desiring to make me feel like I belong in the world, make me feel fulfilled and make, thinking that they were going to give me all the things I wanted. Mm. And so when you're thinking that way, when you're locked in your ego, you're you're going to do stupid things to try to achieve that. You're gonna you're gonna walk over people. You're gonna abuse your health, abuse your body, because you're just gonna try and do whatever it takes to get what you want. Mm. Whereas now, the simple things, family and health and energy and feeling good and being connected with nature, these are the things that I know make me truly happy. Mm. And so, all I want to do, what motivates me the most now, is to do the things that give me those things. And the reason I'm explaining this rather than just saying, rather than just tell you straight away what I eat and what I do, I'm explaining these things first because I learned working in health for a number of years and running retreats and I wrote a book on health and working with people one-on-one. The, the number one thing I learned is that you can tell someone the best information, 
But if they haven't changed their inner world, if they haven't changed the value system that they live by, it, it, it will do stuff all. Just it will literally just... It will go go in one ear and out the other and they'll just keep living the same way they've always lived. Mm. So you have to go through a complete value change. Your your inner world has to pretty much transform and you you have to stop living from the ego. And for most people, as I said, just to repeat myself, it generally takes some sort of wake-up call and that wake-up call is generally the byproduct of some sort of form of suffering. Mm. And... um, so for me now, what allows me to val- what allows me to experience those things I value is is having energy and having a good clean diet. That for me means minimal processed foods. I'm a big believer in food combining, proper food combining, as you know, which mm. very few people know about. Even people listening to this are going to probably go, "What food? What <laughs> mm. food combining? Never heard of that." Yeah. Basically, it's knowing how to combine certain foods so that your digestion is optimized. I'm a really big believer that. The human stomach is, is actually, uh, it's not, it's designed to only handle certain uh, combinations of food to be able to digest them optimally. And I believe the, the standard Western diet is is a, is a terrible combination of foods for the for the human body, but that's, that's just what I believe. Yeah. Not everyone kind of believes the same way around that. Mm. Um, I, I'm a really big believer in a lot of raw foods. I, I try to eat seasonally. I, I'm lucky that at my family uh we have a, a farm that has a lot of fruit trees and a lot of we have a giant veggie patch that we all build together and mm. so i try to eat a lot of in-season produce um and um try to listen to my body that's the main thing i try to listen to my body and what it, what it's guiding what it's guiding me to do and that, and that can change that can change month to month season to season so i don't try to stick to like a really strict steadfast diet now i used to i used to think that was important but i, I sort of since realize for myself that it's important that to understand that the body's changing the season's changing life's always changing and you've got to you've got to listen to the body and what it, what its needs are week by week day by day mm. and um learning for me getting good sleep is obviously crucial as well and to, to sort of for me getting good sleep the most important thing is learning how to get your body out of fight flight learning how to actually calm down your nervous system after a stressful day mm. especially if if you're, if you're someone who drinks coffee, which which stimulates the fight flight response even more, um, learning how to do that and me meditation, embodiment practices, learning how to come back into the body through breathing exercises, through mindfulness, knowing how to um, knowing how to trigger the parasympathetic nervous system, which releases a lot of calming hormones in the body. Mm. So learning how to do that, learning how to do that in my wind down routine before bed has helped me um, improve my sleep astronomically so that I can have a good quality sleep and wake up the next day and actually like jump out of bed rather than wake up, wake up feeling um, like I've just um, been drugged overnight. And, and having lived that way for 10 years, like I I really, really value waking up feeling good every morning. And I mean, there's so many other factors that I could talk about. Um, You know, there's so many different factors to health. Um, I, I really value getting out, um, getting a lot of fresh air and sunshine regularly. I value sweating, um, sweating regularly and, and getting involved in some sort of sport. I'm, I'm obsessed with tennis um, <laughs> and, and, you know, trying to constantly develop your, develop your skills and trying to, trying to take on new challenges. There's so many different elements I can talk about, but just, just to sort of wrap this up, I, I, I can't emphasise enough 
how important it is to get to the root core, really, really challenge the value system that you live by uh, because it, without that value system guiding you, the, all these things that we, all, any advice anyone can give, it's just, it's just not really going to work. Mm, that's right, mate. And that's, that's the thing. We've, we've outsourced our health or we've outsourced our, um, our, our, our knowledge, whereas all the knowledge is within. We, we just don't know how to understand our bodies. We've never been sort of taught to actually listen to what's going on. Um, you know, every human being is like a snowflake. We're all different, uh, I guess, at the end of the day. 100%. And uh, our bodies are different. So there's no, there's no real, um, you know, lesson we're going to get from going to someone to seek advice when we're actually like getting taught lessons all the time by what's going on. We've just got to learn how to actually read them and know when something's out of balance. So yeah, really, really well said. Yeah, well, just sorry, just to add in there, I, I really agree, and I think um, knowing what knowing what you're like, what makes you fulfilled, and what what you truly value in life, you're so right that it, it truly comes from within. You, no course, no seminar, no guru is going to be able to tell you that. We, people have to stop looking externally. It, it's good to get advice. It's good to have mentors and guidance. But you're, we're all so unique, I believe. We're all not, not just unique as humans, but also as spiritual beings. Mm. We're, we're so unique. We've all come here for a unique purpose. But that, that inner voice that is guiding you to what your purpose is, most people are really numb to that voice. They're really disconnected from it. And I, I know that from experience. I, I was so severed, so disconnected from that voice for a long period in my life. And it was that spiritual awakening experience that awoke me to that inner voice and and that unique true self that spirit that we all have within and i believe that 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 true self speaks to us through the body Mm. and it speaks to us through the feelings we get in our heart it speaks to us through the instincts that we have in our gut and i think that the intellect the brain that's there to respond to the heart and respond to the gut that's there to kind of figure out the logistics of what the gut and the heart are actually guiding us to do. Mm. And, but I think what's happened in society is that it's all become inverted. People are ruled by the head mm. and ruled by the intellect, which is a fantastic tool, but it's, I think it's a terrible master because I think it's more associated with the ego. Yeah. And um, so we need to come back to the heart. We need to come back to the gut. And, that, and to do that, we need to come back just to the body in general. Mm. And most people, without even being aware of it, they're so disconnected from the body. They're fully living in their head. They never listen to the body. And uh, the, first, the first step is recognizing that. And then the second step is learning to come back to the body. And, and that's, that's just a matter of get, learning to get out of the head, learning to get out of the head, learning to be present and understanding the difference between the head and the body. And, and for me, the prime difference between the head and the body is that the head, the head is where the monkey mind lives lives the head is where you've got this endless stream of thoughts and it's where it's a big source of anxiety when you live there because you're just constantly you're constantly analyzing everything you're constantly living in you're analyzing the past you're regretting things you're projecting into the future you're getting anxious about future events you're worrying about this you're worrying about that whereas when you're in the body when you come back to the body you're in your senses and it's a realm of feeling it's all you're doing is feeling you're feeling the energy in your body. You're feeling you're feeling the world through your senses, and what you realize is that you can't. You actually can't think and feel at the same time. Mm. So when you're thinking, when you're in your thinking brain, your head, you're not feeling. You're numb to the feeling. 
you're numb to the centers of the body that allow you to feel. But when you're in your body feeling, your 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 monkey mind switches off. Mm. So whenever I realize I'm trapped in the head, I come back to the body. I first come back to my breath. I tune into the breath and I slow down my breath. And then the first thing I do is I just, I just come back to how my how my body feels. I come back like how do the clothes feel on your skin? Mm. How does the breeze feel brushing on on your skin? How does how does the seat feel that you're sitting on? Mm. How does how do those colours resonate in your body that your eyes are taking in? How does how does the sound resonate in your body that you're hearing right now? And you realise all these senses, all this sensory input hits the body and it rings in the body, it resonates in the body in vibrations that you can actually tangibly feel. And you can the second you tap back into that, all of a sudden you're in this peaceful realm where you're just feeling and you're not thinking anymore. And I really think that that's, that's actually primarily how we're meant to live. We're meant to live in, in, this, in this embodied feeling way where we're just in, instinctively and intuitively uh, navigating this world with the thinking brain just kind of thinking, uh, guiding us with the logistics of, of how to do things from you know, day to day. But anyway, I'll, I'll wrap it up there, but that, that's something I really, really value is embodiment and, and getting in the body. 100%, everything around us is living in that theta state primarily, and as is the kid. You just gotta watch a little kid to actually get back to uh, observing what life really is meant to be all about, mate. Living, uh, living, living in touch, in, uh, in control, in the moment with what's going on. So yeah, uh, feeling, sensing, knowing what's actually happening in, in real time within yourself gets you out of the, the thoughts, the depression, the, the anxieties, the fear, the stress, all the controlled mechanisms which are manufactured at the end of the day. Yeah. But real life is happening in real time. We've just got to be able to learn to access access, access that more and more, mate. So really well Definitely. said, Matty. I uh, really appreciate that. Now, how can people get in touch with you and get access to your beautiful books? Yeah, so um, I've, I've published two books. One book from back in 2014 that's more around health and wellness, uh, which is called Three, 365 Days of Wholeness. And then I published a book last year that delves more into other topics I've sort of researched or sort of delved into in recent years, which I've sort of touched on today, which, you know, based around spiritual awakening, based around um, embodiment, how to get back in the body. But I also delve into a lot of the authoritarian control control structures in the world and how I believe that um, they've been structured and designed to keep us in in our heads and to disconnect us from our bodies and also to kind of maintain the world as kind of like, I don't know, you could kind of compare it to an ant colony where there's the kind of very few elites controlling the rest and trying to keep them as kind of like a hive mind, their little worker bees doing their bidding. Mm. And I sort of delve a bit into that um, and how I believe we can kind of free ourselves from that and I, I, the, I titled that book Free Range Humans because I, kind of, mm. uh, I kind of relate our existence as humans as kind of like free range animals where they're given this kind of like, you know, a, a farmer, for example, is farming cows and he leaves, lets them roam around in a paddock. Um, but the, the cow has this perception of freedom because it feels like it's out in the open and it's got abundance of grass and it gets fed and it's safe. But really, it's um, 
in a way, it's 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 in a captivity. It's it's got a perimeter. It's not truly. It's not a truly free being. Mm. It's in a captivity. It's got a it's got a master that controls its existence and has a kind of agenda for it, which is generally to be eaten. And um, so it's not a truly free being. And I kind of, in many ways, relate our human existence to that. In that uh, there are many control mechanisms that seek to give us a perception of freedom, but uh, keep us controlled in many ways. And the book delves into that and also how to kind of break ourselves away from that, mm-hmm. sort of go from free-range humans to truly free beings. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that might not be for everyone. Um, that's a, it's a pretty out-there book. But, um, yeah, that, that's also on the website. The website is called um, seedsofawareness.com.au. So, yeah, that's seedsofawareness.com.au. So all everything's on there. Mate, awesome. Are you right? And, and look, I really uh, really would encourage anyone that wants to fast-track their development and learning to get a copy uh, because you uh, you go through truth, basically. You're getting back to truth. And um, I, my, my big thing is not wait till the end of your life but until you find the truth and you, you go back through I wishes, I could'ves, I should'ves, all that sort of stuff. When that's actually available now, you know, to, to tap back into all those beautiful things that you mentioned. But a lot of that stuff can be learned through that book, mate. So I really, uh, really would uh, recommend people to jump on the website, look in, more into it and be able to, I think you can get the first three chapters free. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, yeah. People can download the first three chapters, first three chapters free if they want to get a bit of a taste of it before purchasing. Yeah, good, and it'd be an awesome investment for anyone to have in their toolkit. So, Matt, thank you very much for joining me, mate. I really, really am grateful for your time. I'm sure we're going to have another conversation uh, as this uh, podcast evolves to be able to pick a topic that uh, might be more relevant, uh, you know, in the moment and be able to talk more about that. You've got so much knowledge and uh, the world's such a better place for you to not uh, have played 200 games of AFL and finished up when you did with the awareness that you actually had and been able to sort of transform that awareness and... Uh, keep your uh, vibration high, mate. So I'm really, really grateful to know you and uh, really value you, uh, you as a friend and a human being. So thank you very much, Matty. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, Aaron. And, and I'm really um, so glad that you've started this podcast and, and getting so much uh, incredible information out there to people. So, yeah, really, yeah. really appreciative of this and for having me on. Well, mate, we don't have to suffer from depression, anxiety, all those issues that we're experiencing. Yep. we just got to be able to understand that we can take our, uh, our power back. So I appreciate uh, your wisdom, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Guys, thanks very much for listening to my chat with Matthew. I uh, really encourage you to touch base with him. There's a lot of wisdom in those books that can really help us physically and mentally. So jump on the website, seedsofawareness.com.au. Uh, touch base with me, support.backmind.com.au. Got some really good guests coming up, uh, another sort of four or five guests over the next four or five days, and a terrific uh, supporting partner coming on to uh, help this podcast uh, thrive and, uh, and start to promote uh, better health and well-being for the listeners out there. That's what I really want to do at the end of the day. Website, www.outbackmind.com.au. That's going to be starting to evolve and start getting better. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting that out there and uh, sharing that more. Appreciate your feedback. Uh, love, uh, love your listening and uh, your participation. Really grateful for that. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers.